Our scripture this evening is found in Psalm 119. And for some of y'all, we have finally found the passage of Psalm 119 that you've been looking for for the last few months, and it is the last eight verses of Psalm 119. And so we will have made it all the way through Psalm 119. You know, as as I researched and read to, to prepare for this series of sermons, I, I saw an awful lot of, of preachers that have made it through Psalm 119 in one or two sermons. And I'm going, what? You, know, you couldn't even read Psalm 119 in the average amount of time that you have to preach, much less preach all the way through 176 verses of this psalm. There's just so much that... That, that this psalm has, has said about the Word of God. And uh, obviously as we approach this last section, I, uh, I had fallen into the pattern from the very beginning of, of using the Word of God as part of the title of every sermon. And as I read this last passage again, I knew exactly uh, what the theme for tonight would be, and, and that would be salvation in the Word of God. See, beloved, we live in tumultuous times. I don't have to tell any of us that. We live in times that, that, that just don't make any sense. We live in times that we look at the newspaper, we look at the nightly news, we read the news on our phones or on our computers, and, and we just go, what in the world is going on? How could anybody do what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, what I'm hearing, what's going on? And, and you know, God calls us. To seek Him in troubled times. God calls us to reach out to Him for understanding. Listen, beloved. There were some courses that I took in college, all right? I took two courses on accounting in college. Two of them. They made me do it. Praise God that after I graduated, it, it changed from accounting to statistics. And I never would have graduated had I had to take statistics courses. But I read, I read the accounting textbooks. Didn't understand the word I read, but I read those accounting textbooks. But what good did it do me? What good did it do me to read a book that I don't understand? And so the psalmist throughout this psalm has been asking God not just to let him read the Word of God, but to understand the Word of God. To be able to understand the Word of God and, and, and listen. To say to God, when I wander, when I stray, God, would you please come seeking for me? Would you please come looking for me? Psalm 119 Verses 169 through 176, and in honor of the reading of God's word, let's all stand, please. <clears throat> Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue sing of your word. For all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live that it may praise you, and let your ordinances help me. 
I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this evening. And Father, we just ask that as you illumine the heart and mind of the psalmist of uh, that that you caused to write this psalm, that you would illumine our hearts and minds as well. Father God, we pray the same thing the psalmist did, that you would give us understanding according to your word, that you would deliver us according to your word, that you would let our lips utter praise, that you would let our tongues sing of your word, that, that you would show to us your salvation, and that you would let our souls live so that we may praise you. God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. We offer you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the ways that a good author of a book or of a screenplay hooks us, and the movies and books and, and even the shows that, that we tend to remember better than any others, is where you have the author has has given to us this this carefully constructed plot line, okay? And you've been following along with the plot line. And, and you understand the character, you know, the, the, the protagonist. You understand the protagonist. You understand the antagonist. You understand what's going on. You're invested. And then all of a sudden, they give to you an unexpected ending. An unexpected ending. And that's verse 176. The psalmist, we have looked throughout all of this psalm. The the psalmist has been talking about how he's been hanging on to God's Word, how he's found strength in God's Word, how God's Word and His principles and its ordinance. I mean, the last thing he says is, then let your ordinances help me. And he says, your law is my delight. I have chosen your precepts. All your commandments are righteousness. You teach me your statutes. Deliver me according to your Word. Give me understanding standing according to your word, and you think you know where this is going, and then all of a sudden he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Seek your servant. The psalmist is humbly admitting the same thing that we ourselves need to admit. And that is our tendency to stray from the Word of God. One commentator wrote it this way. He said, it is the nature of a sheep to stray. It does not do it, stray, to be wicked or wanton. It does it because that is what a sheep is like. Likewise, it is human nature to go astray. Nobody has to take a course in theology to know that. Our sin nature is bent that way. It is not necessarily that we deliberately make up our minds to neglect our daily quiet time, the place of prayer, the gathering of God's people. We just allow the crowding concerns of everyday life to loom large. We do what comes naturally. We stray. Now, I don't know if you caught... The irony, we are going to talk about more than verse 176, but there's just so much in verse 176 that I want us to see it as we begin. 
Do you catch the irony in verse 176? I do not forget your commandments. I have gone astray. I have gone astray. You know, when I was a young man in in the Marine Corps, I took great delight in bringing some of my co-Marines that were city dwellers home with me. And I'd always take them up to Big Creek or Cosby Campground. And as a young man, I spent a lot of time in high school at Big Creek Campground and, and Cosby Campground in the, in, the, in the National Park. And I probably spent more time off the trail than I ever spent on the trail. I knew those areas very well. And so I would always get them back in the middle of the woods and I would say, could you find your way out from here? And they knew that they couldn't. They knew that we had taken so many turns and twists and and obviously this was before the day of GPS and having compasses on our wrists or on our belts and they knew that there was no way that they were going to be able to find their way out of that. Because they had watched themselves get led into a place they didn't know. And see, the way that we recognize that we have gone astray is because we don't forget God's commandments. We know them. We know them. They're a constant companion for us. They're, they're like the way that I used to take hearing tests. When, when they put the things over my ear in the soundproof room, your ears will ring. Well, having been in band, I would begin humming the frequency that my ears were ringing at. And so I would feel the next pitch long before I heard it. And God's word works just like that in our own lives. That the psalmist has spent 175 verses telling us how precious the Word of God is to him and how important the Word of God is to him. And then at the very end, he gives us this statement that expresses the struggle of every sincere follower of Christ, the struggle between the old and the new. Paul captured this perfectly in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Wait. I thought the law was physical. I thought the law said you can or you can't. That's physical, right? No. The, the law is spiritual because the law's aim was never to control our actions. The law's aim was to get at our heart. The law is spiritual, but I am a flesh. Sold into bondage to sin. Well, now, who were the two parties involved in that transaction? Well, let me give you a hint. Paul was one of them. And in our own lives, I'm a party to that. I'm the one that sold myself into bondage to sin. 
See if this resonates for you. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. Now, wait a minute, beloved. I want you to remember who's writing this. Okay, this would almost be in our day like Billy Graham writing a letter that that said this basic same thing to us. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind. And making me a prisoner of the law of sin. Which is in my members. Do you resonate with that? Does that make any sense to to any of us that... That the psalmist is saying the exact same thing. Take us to the next screen, please. 24 and 25. Oh, did I not? Wretched man that I am. In other words, let me put this into plain words for you. Paul's saying to the Romans, beloved, I've got a problem. I've got a big problem. I am in bondage. And I have no idea how to get out of this bondage and it's going to kill me. Hey, wait, I know. That's why Jesus came. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Isn't that exactly what the psalmist is saying? I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Just like a sheep, we're prone to stray. Listen, let me tell you a secret. If the Apostle Paul struggled with this, we're going to struggle with it. If the Apostle Paul wrestled mightily with this, we're going to wrestle with it. We're going to wrestle with it until the day that we die. And you know what, I, you know, I would love to talk with some of these people in, that are in monastic orders that have gone and cloistered themselves in a place where maybe they've taken a vow of silence, never to speak again for the rest of their life. They never read anything but the Bible. They never have any contact with the outside world. And I'd love to sit down with them near the end of their life and say, did it really help? Did it really help? Or were you still waging that war in your member, in your members that you were waging before you went into this monastery? 
See, the only difference in my mind that that's going to do is that instead of having the body of Christ to help me through this, I'm having to do it alone. If I put myself in a monastery. The psalmist wants us to know that these are real words for real people. And he's teaching us that no matter what your opinion of the Word of God, I mean, you can't go a single verse in this psalm without seeing the Word of God being mentioned in some way or another. And he's teaching us that we must constantly stay aware of our sinful nature. And its tendency to wander away from God. Spurgeon wrote of this psalm. The psalmist is approaching the end of the psalm and his petitions gather force and fervency. He seems to break into the inner inner circle of divine fellowship and to come even to the feet of the great God whose help he is imploring. This nearness creates the most lowly view of himself and leads him to close the psalm upon his face in deepest self-humiliation, begging to be sought out like a lost sheep. Oh, beloved, we must cry out to God to seek us. Verses 169 through 172. The psalmist recognizes his tendency to stray. You know... One of the things that, that they teach you in, in maintaining, I don't know if they do this in the civilian world, but in, in the Marine Corps they tell you never memorize torque values. Okay? If there's a bolt that I have to use a torque wrench to tighten, I'm not supposed to memorize what the torque value is for that bolt. Why? Because I might be confused. I might have forgotten that it's this bolt that gets that torque value, not this one. And I could unleash great chaos. And so you're supposed to go back to the manual every single time you do a maintenance procedure. And make sure that you are following the instructions step by step from the maintenance manual. See, the psalmist has spent 175 verses telling us how much he loves the Word of God. But it doesn't do any good if we stop going back to it, if we think that we've got enough of it, that if we think, well, I've got that memorized, I know what that passage says, and we skip over it. The psalmist wants us to uh, understand that as we pour our heart out to God, we are to claim His promises. This is the exact same thing Paul talked about in Romans 12 too, where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. See, here's the deal, beloved. So many times when we read Romans 12 too, we lock in on don't be conformed to the world, and that's where we stop. We stop reading. Okay, we say, well, I'm, I'm of the Baptist tribe, so I'm going to be conformed to them, and, and, and everything will be all right. That's not what Paul says. 
Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, what is it that is good and acceptable and perfect? It is the transforming, it is the renewing of our mind. That's what God's after, beloved. God is not after conformity. God is after transformation. He wants to make us, oh, I don't know, a new creation in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to just improve on on what we've done in our own lives. He says that's not good enough. It never will be. It never can be. I want you to release yourself to me and allow me to transform you and renew your mind. And when I do that, then this will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect, you will find is so much easier. The verb here is a term for presenting an offering. He has nothing left to present to God but a cry. It it literally means come near before. Let my cry come near before you. Come near before you. Draw near to God, the Word says, and He will draw near to us. That he's a very distant help. No, it says he's a very present help in times of trouble. He asked God to give him understanding according to your word. You know, a lot of times people, they want to know where a preacher comes down on a particular theological topic. And in Southern Baptist life, the one that we like to fuss about the most is Calvinism. And people will ask me, Larry, are you a Calvinist? And I will say to them, where Calvin can help me get a better understanding of the Word of God, I will read Calvin. But when Calvin obfuscates the Word of God, then I'll stop reading Calvin and and I'll find something else. I'm not going to get into anything that doesn't help me understand the Word of God. This is not my accounting textbook. I understand that not only do I need to read it, I need to understand it. And the only way that I can understand it is with the help of the Holy Spirit. To ask Him to help me see things from God's perspective in God's way. And to enable me to learn how to read the Word the way that God spoke the Word and to live the Word the way that He intended us to live it. And then in verse 170, he says, Let my supplication come before you. You know, maybe he's building up. I told you in the past when Adam was a little boy, he'd come in and you always knew. He'd say, Daddy, uh, I love you. And then you'd go, what's up? What have you done or what do you want, right? And maybe the psalmist is, is, is leading up to that in a similar situation. He says, let my supplication come before you. Now, 
This is not one of those name it and claim it supplications. This man has shown us throughout this, this psalm that his thinking is in line with the Word of God. And he asked God to listen to him and rescue him. We'll get to it in a few moments, but did you see in verse 175 what he said? We've seen that this man is in danger. He is in physical danger. He doesn't say, let my body live. Let my soul live. Let my soul live that it may praise you. He understands that there is more to life than life. There is way more to life than life. And he says, let my soul live so that I can praise you. In verses 171 and 172, he's teaching us to ask for a spirit of true worship. Have you ever been to a seminar on how to worship God in spirit and in truth? I have. You know what I learned out of it? Not much. You want to know where to go to learn how to worship in spirit and in truth? You go to God and you say, let my tongue sing of your word. You ask God to teach you how to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he says that I want that spirit of true worship. I don't want to be a murmurer. I want to be a singer. I want to be a shouter of your word. We need to cry out to God with the same heartfelt request that the psalmist made. See, knowledge of Scripture is not enough. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 14. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. If what we've got wasn't revealed to us from the Spirit, then we ain't got anything. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. See, the Holy Spirit is able to go someplace I'm not able to. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Because they're spiritually appraised. You know, a lot of the forums that I see people posting in, they'll refer to Christians as, as those who worship a zombie. That Jesus came back from the dead, and how's that any different from the zombie stories that we watch on television? That's what Paul is talking about. When we start talking about resurrection, they are foolishness to those people. They cannot understand them because they are spiritually uh, appraised. 
They cannot understand them. And so it was going to read me 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 14. We need to be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding, just as Paul prayed for the Colossians in Colossians 1, 9, where he said, he's got to jump that one in real quick. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now listen to me, beloved. If you had planted a church, wouldn't you want them to be doing your will? But Paul is more mature than that. He says, listen, what I pray for you is not that you do things my way, but that you do things God's way. That you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and that you would do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Because when the Holy Spirit enlightens our spiritual eyes to understand God's Word, we will be able to effectively apply it to our lives. Ephesians 1.18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And then in verse 170, He he teaches us to pray that God would deliver us from every enemy. Beloved, all of us have enemies. Some of them are physical. Some of them are spiritual. But we need to pray that God would deliver us from our enemies. As I said, we need to pray that God would give us a spirit of true worship, regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of our circumstances. Remember that second hymn we sang just a moment ago? That third verse where the, where the hymnist or the, the hymn writer was talking about going through a rough time and you don't understand how Christ was leading you until you get through that rough time on the other side of it. And so the psalmist is teaching us this guy is going through a rough time. And yet he still is worshiping God no matter what's going on. And his lips could praise God because he had been taught God's word. Now, the psalmist's lips and our lips do not praise God by nature. He and we have to be taught God's truth. And knowing the purity and inerrancy of God's word made the psalmist want to speak of it to others. He was confident of his conviction. Spurgeon said, then should we break through our sinful silence? It is not only of God's works that we are to speak, but of his word. Verses 173 through 175. Yeah, I like that. Though sometimes he leads through water's deep. Man, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Sometimes we go through water's deep. And they're hard to get through. 
And the only way that we know that we made it through is when we look back and see that Christ led us all the way. The psalmist is asking for God's mighty power to help him. He prayed that God in his faithfulness to his just laws would set him free so that he could go on living and glorifying him. The psalmist felt like he could ask for God's help because he had demonstrated his love and his willingness to live for the word of God. That he was willing to be different from those around him. He teaches us that God's salvation is from and according to his word. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 1.23. For you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. You have been born again by the living and enduring word of God. See, beloved, what the psalmist wants us to understand is that the hand that made the universe is powerful enough to keep us in every situation. No matter what we face, He is there. Ephesians 3.20 Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. (laughs) Do you understand that sometimes we look at a situation... And we ask God to do this this thing that in our mind, we can't do it, but in our mind, you know, this would be a piddling little thing for God. And God chooses to do something completely different, like, oh, I don't know, alter the complete course of humanity as He works in the life or in the situation that we're bringing before God, because God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. You know, you know a prayer that I love to pray? I love when God lays somebody on my heart to just be able to pray, God, would you just bust loose in them? Would you just bust loose? Would you just anoint this individual? Would you fall on them in a a mighty way and bust loose in their life? Because the power that spoke the universe into existence and raised Christ from the dead is available to each one of us, beloved. When we stop depending solely on our own strength and begin relying fully on Him instead, we will find Him sufficient for every challenge that we face. Isn't that what Paul tells us in Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Listen, beloved. This is not just, y'all may remember an Olympics a few years ago where one of the runners, I, I don't know what happened, but he wasn't going to be able to finish the race. He, he fell down and he couldn't get up and his dad rushed out onto the, onto the track. And he stooped down and he put his son's arm around his shoulder and, and he helped his son to cross the finish line. 
and I'm not saying anything bad about that. That was a noble thing and a loving thing to help his son finish the race that he started. But that's not what Jesus, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying that if you have fallen, if you will rely fully on Jesus Christ, you will be able to get up and not only finish the race, but win the race. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. When are we going to get a hold of that, beloved? When are we going to stop leaning on our own understanding? When are we going to stop leaning on our own strength, on our own ingenuity? When are we going to start leaning on God and trusting in His power? Verse 176. The psalmist ended this prayer by confessing that like a lost sheep he had strayed. The verb tense is perfect, pointing to a completed action. It is a simple statement of fact, admitting what all of us must admit in coming to God. Luther said, this verse is extremely emotional and full of tears, for truly we are all thus going astray, so that we must pray to be visited, sought, and carried over by the most godly shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God-blessed forever. Amen. Have you ever gone to an all-you-can-eat buffet and overeaten? Do you expect that you'll do the same thing the next time you go back? Probably. Probably. No matter how much you say, I'm not going to overeat, oh, they've got ribs tonight. Mm. Oh, were those donuts for dessert? You're going to overeat. It's your nature. In this last verse, the psalmist says, I have gone astray in the past, and I have every expectation that I'm going to go astray in the future. And God I am asking that you would come looking for me when I err. We must give great care to staying close to Jesus, lest we wander away from Him. No matter how long we've been saved, no matter how well we know God's Word, no matter how we have served Him, no matter what trials we have endured, we are never beyond the possibility of strain from the Lord. You know, I saw a, a story a couple of weeks ago, and I don't even remember exactly what the man said. But this was a man that was very high up at Apple, very high up. We're talking probably making high sixes, maybe low sevens in his job. And he drove a pretty nice car, and evidently there's this guy that goes around California, and when he sees people with nice cars, he asks them what you do for a living. And this guy gave a very flip answer that took him every bit of two seconds to say, he is no longer employed with Apple. I would venture to say that if he's still married to his wife, things are rather chilly. Two seconds. This man had spent his entire career 
building to one of the most prestigious tech jobs in all of the world. And in two seconds, he threw it all away. And what makes us think that in two seconds, we won't stray and wander off the path of righteousness into sin. When we realize, now, listen to me. If we're ever up at Cosby Campground or Big Creek and I look at you and say, stop, I think we're lost. That's pretty bad, okay? We need to recognize when we have strayed too far away from God's Word. And the only way that we can recognize when we have strayed away from God's Word is to spend time in God's Word. And when we recognize that we have strayed to cry out to Him for help because He's the only one that can fix it. If we will submit ourselves to God and return to obeying His Word, He will restore us. Praise God that He is a faithful shepherd. Praise God, Matthew 18, 12 through 13. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. <laughs> How many of us, if that one sheep had gone astray, that bird sheep, I tell you what, every time I take my eyes off of him, I'm going to wear that sheep out when I catch him. And Jesus says, when you stray, I'll come looking for you. And when I find you, I will rejoice over you. I will rejoice over you. The psalm ends on the reminder that the power and greatness of God's word does not rest only in its literary brilliance. Its greatness and glory is in the fact that God came to us and he seeks us in and through his word. And that, beloved, is how salvation is found in the word of God.